players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Days, Dismember, Death Shadow, and many others battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thurabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming. Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, In Grief's Shadow. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week, available in our supporter-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access or join as a YouTube member for the same content on YouTube instead. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben U. I am Brian Koval, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. And I am Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. Shout out to Crows, our new Patreon subscriber since the last episode. Like Phil said, that's how we stay on the air. That's how we keep doing this. Check that out. Also, we uh, talked a little bit of smack, I think. Uh, got a little down and gritty about some community members in our pre-show. Just if you like that sort of thing, it's probably worth the five bucks. Speaking of the five bucks, if you're interested in running an event or you want your LGS to do so, but are worried about the logistics of it, check out Eminence Gaming's Command Tower software. You can create and manage 4-player or 1v1 tournaments easily, and its unique pairing system ensures that you don't get paired against the same players multiple times. Visit eminence.event for details. This week, I'm really and truly thankful for Eminence Gaming. Yep, shout out to Eminence, hashtag sponsored, also hashtag they rule. Okay, I'm going to kick off this episode by a quick correction from last episode. I described a rules interaction with Triumph of St. Catherine that was not fully correct. I knew that at some point there was concern that Strime from St. Catherine, if it died and you had less than six cards in your deck, you just exiled your deck and then you had no more deck. I said she would shuffle into whatever number of cards you have. It's the thing in the middle. If Triumph of St. Catherine dies, she prompts you to exile her from your graveyard with the top six cards of your deck. If you only have five, you cannot meet the requirements to do this, so no part of the effect happens. Triumph of St. Catherine remains in your graveyard and your five card deck stays right where it is. It is in between the horrifying thing and the great thing. And then we get this normal thing that makes sense. Oh, hey, while we're talking about weird rules interactions, do you happen to know how Beseech the Mirror and Opposition Agent interact? Because I saw some giant ass Reddit post and I was a little unsure. I, I have put no thought into this, but what is the what is the concern? So Opposition Agent for a two and a black for a human rogue, that's a three two flash. You control your opponent's. While they're searching their libraries, while an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. You may play those cards for, for as long as they remain exiled, and you may spend mana as though if it were any color to cast them. Beseech the Mirror is one triple black, four mana total for a sorcery. Bargain. Search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. If this spell was bargained, you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. If its mana value is four or less, put the exiled card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way so i guess the question would be 
bargain tutors into exile anyway. So is opposition agent actually replacing anything? Is that the core of the issue? I, I think so. I don't know. So let's spend zero time on this. Uh, let's let that shake out. My, my my thought was I'm going to wait until this happens on Magic Online and then I'm going to assume that how it works. I could have swore that Brian Cobalt was a level five judge on Magic Workstation and that he should know how this works. First of all, I only ever was a level two judge and those years are quite behind me, though I have agreed to speak at a judge conference next year. Apparently we could still do that now that the DCI is disbanded and everything's fake. Uh, they can just get randos with something to say. I'll be doing that. There are some precedents for if something would be exiled and they interact with if it's exiled anyway. Like if you unearth a creature that says at the beginning of your end step, exile this. And if it would go anywhere, exile it instead. It, but like if you ephemerate an unearthed creature, you've met the if it goes anywhere, exile it instead clause because ephemerate does exile the thing, and then it just comes back. So there is some, like, I can see where this might get wiggly, but I'm going to let someone else actually take the the current important ruling on the table. All right, then let's get into the real episode. Um, today we want to sh talk about, like, the blue-black shell in Legacy. And specifically, we want to zero in on, like, the grief, reanimate, troll of Kaza Doom package that is just really becoming dominant in Legacy. At first, I think a lot of us thought, hey, this is something cute that you can do, and now it is at just the absolute center of Legacy. And modern, uh, which we are not typically a modern podcast, but this technology has trickled from modern up into the more powerful format of Legacy. Modern was on this stuff from basically day one. People realized, hey, I can ephemerate my grief, and... That's pretty dope. And then it took Legacy a long time to get used to it. We've kind of outlined a like history of pitch spells and free spells and what they normally do versus what they're doing now. Let's start walking down that road. So the pitch spells, you usually get a one or two mana effect without paying mana. Like very few of these are really crazy. And the crazy ones cost more than two cards. So I'm just going to say some names of cards. You've probably heard of some of them. Force of Will. Days, Force of Negation, Force of Vigor, Misdirection, Commandeer, Grief, Unmask, Solitude, Fury, Endurance, Pyrokinesis, Allosaurus, Rider, Contagion, Vine Dryad, Bounty of the Hunt, Sunscour, Soul Spike, Pulverize, Cave In, Snapback, and the Kamigawa Shoal Cycle. There are some others, but I did put some lines of playability on them. I only listed ones I've actually seen in decks, and all of these got played in the formats that they were legal, and many are still fringe to staple play in eternal formats now or even banned in some formats um, we lost blazing shoal in modern for example because it was not okay to have that around with infect creatures right so let's let's work up to that work work our way back to that because of all of the card names that i just listed i know i went fast i don't expect you to remember them all among that list the effects you get there's a ton of counter spells there's a ton of removal spells there's some discard spells. Only two of them are creatures, and those two creatures have one power, or in the case of Allosaurus Rider, power and toughness equal to one plus your lands. So it might be a 2-2 on arrival if you just jam it on turn one. None of that is offensive. It's all defensive with the goal of slowing the game down. The offense spells like Bounty of the Hunt and Blazing Shoal, those are combat tricks that require a creature to target. So unless you have a creature very early, 
they don't even do anything yet. So they, they're unlikely to break the game if you can cast them on turn one. And like Phil said, Blazing Shoal is still banned, even with all of that going against it. And it's the most proactive of all of these pitch spells. Counters, removal, discard, creatures, and combat tricks are all card types with deep, deep efficient options that you could cast for one or two mana. So the effect you get off your pitch spell in the short term has to be powerful enough to be worth the long-term loss of resources. That's the equation we're talking about with that long list of cards, almost all of which are built for defense. For you longtime legacy players, like the thing that you're probably used to thinking about is like the idea of force of will and days in the traditional Delver shell, right? When you have a three power attacker in play, it's okay for you to kind of give up a resource, you know, be it a card or returning something to your hand in order to continue to push that damage. And when you have something bigger in play, you know, a Murktide Regent, a troll, you can take even better advantage of that same amount of time. And even more basic than that, that's starting to pivot into using these pitch spells offensively. How about just your deck with Narset, Barter, Veils in it? You have Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, and you're in a format with turn one and turn two kills. That's what Force of Will is really about. It's worth two cards to not freaking die on turn zero or be able to tap out for a ponder on turn one without losing on the spot because you didn't hold up Spellpiercer Flusterstorm. That's the kind of, as Garfield intended, case for a lot of these pitch spells. It, it's better to lose two cards than to die. Yeah, and, and this kind of comes back to the, the thing that many people say, like, Force of Will is a bad card, right? Like, when you are in the fair matchups, a lot of times you don't want the Force of Wills. You would rather pivot into something like a Pyroblast that can be a one-for-one one instead of a two-for-one. But this is legacy, and sometimes you don't have that luxury. People are out there jamming combo decks. People are out there, you know, jamming your Oops All spells, your Creative Technique, your Beseech the Mirror decks we're probably going to start seeming. Sometimes you just need the emergency no button. While we're talking about combo decks, I think when you want to think about these two-for-one cards, more the most common deck that you can look at right now is Black Red Reanimator. If you look at Reanimator from two years ago, when E.W. Landon was at the height of playing Reanimator, you had Main Deck Cabal Therapy and Unmask. Now we have Grief, Unmask, Cabal Therapy is nowhere to be played, and they're playing Thoughtseize. Because just being able to guarantee to hit that endurance or force negation or force of will, there's so many of these free pitch spells now and you can't afford to be wrong. Like Cabal Therapy went from only having force of will to name to a dozen cards ever since Modern Horizons 1 and 2. And it's just been such a huge change. But when you look at Reanimator specifically, that's a lot of card disadvantage, Grief and Unmask. But when you surround these powerful two-for-ones with insane card advantage, it often makes up for it. And you get an offensive use of these cards. And I think if you want to go back 15, 20 years, Brian might remember this deck. But the first time I remember seeing this was in Vintage Pitch Long. It was named Pitch Long because you ran Force of Will and Unmask, and then your deck tried to chain draw sevens until you could cast a Tendrils of Agony. And at the time, the whole concept of this blew my mind. And the first Vintage event I went to, this actually ended up top eating. Yeah, exactly. So that equation that Pitch Spells give you of why would you spend two cards on a one or two mana effect? The answer is, if I'm not losing, or if I am winning, is usually the boxes we're trying to check here. And when combo pivots this inherently defensive mechanic into offense, uh, like Doomsday, I'm 
scared as heck of Doomsday. That's a potential turn one combo deck with Force and Daze in it. I've even seen Doomsday lists with a couple of Grief. Like it, it's in there, and that's really scary. And that one mana, that's the difference. It's like, if my hand is Swamp, Lotus Petal, and Tomb Reanimate, I don't have time for Thoughtseize on that. I need to spend two cards to get a peek for free. And that's the sort of thing that makes it worth doing. If you look at Doomsday lists, they don't even run answers. Like in their sideboard, there's no Echoing Truth, no Abrupt Decay. Their entire game plan is don't let it happen. I have Days, Force of Will, Force of Negation, and Grief. How crazy is that that they're just like, no, I just won't let you resolve it. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Like I shouted them out as my poster child of messed up abuse of offensive pitch spells but also i didn't even mention that they generally sideboard for force of negation too just forget your lock piece that's not happening doomsday is the rare exception in that they don't have a broken card advantage to make up for all the card loss instead their com their combo is so compact and so low resources that they just get away with not playing any draw sevens or anything like that yeah how many cards do you attribute to winning the game on the spot if your spell resolves because uh i i think that counts as some kind of card advantage uh like vert this is probably too heady and not actually fully fleshed out and very stupid but like you gain the virtual card advantage of your opponent not drawing any more spells for the game and they're fucking dead how about that <laughs> i don't know that that seems like a good replacement for a draw engine i wouldn't hard blame you either um while we're kind of talking about card advantage here i, I want to just pivot uh, just for a tiny second out of combo and I just want to mention that like paying playing too many pitch cards is not free. So I've been playing a lot of these like black stompy deck lists because they're fun and surprisingly good. In those decks, you oftentimes have grief and chrome mox. And unless you have some sort of draw engine like the one ring, you will feel using those cards. Like sometimes you get the grief and the reanimate and you're just going ham as a turn one. And other times you have to do a turn one grief while also playing a chrome box and all of a sudden you don't have that many cards left so just kind of be aware in deck building that there is some tension the more of these things you play if you can't immediately win the game right and i you all know me island ponder keep but if i keep that one land ponder hand that i am so comfortable with but that ponder is also my only blue card for force things get dicey if my opponent starts having a big turn one because that ponder isn't just random blue material for my hand. It's my next land drop. It's my chance to play this game in a smooth kind of way. So yeah, pit spells come at a real cost. And that's what we're talking about. That uh, like Phil, you're talking about a stompy deck. That deck isn't really meant to have a long game. It's playing tempo, like exchanging cards now for mana worth of effects. Like there, There's a lot of theory, like the player who spends the most mana tends to win a game of magic. And if we count something like grief as spending one mana, because it's like, you know, Thoughtseize, that's a one mana effect. But I spent two cards to do it to jump ahead one mana. If I get the game one on this mana advantage, good. But if my opponent stabilizes and starts spending their mana in real ways as they go longer, they will have spent more mana and probably win the game later on. So uh, that's kind of like, people are always like, what is tempo? That That's a big part of the puzzle. It's short-term advantage of mana, whether it's literal mana or effects that should cost mana, but they don't at the expense of your long-term game. And Phil, you, you shouted that out a little earlier about like Delver decks playing Force Days, etc. Uh, they don't have a real plan to go long. They want to get you dead in chunks of three and possibly 11 and just get the game over quickly while putting spells in their graveyard. And they're 
also kind of built to break parity. Not kind of, they literally are. Where if you have to play around days, but they're perfectly fine functioning on one mana and they're wasting out from under you, uh, that's that's a way to abuse these effects that should be a bad deal, but in fact end up being a good one. I have a memory of maybe 2011, 2012, driving down to a Jupiter Games event with a full car of guys, talking Legacy. There was a bug tempo deck in the format at the time called Team America, a terrible deck name, but there was a big debate at the time of in your two-mana black card slot if you ran Sinkle or Him to Torok, and a much younger Brank Cook was insistent that him to Torak was a tempo spell. The other four guys in the car kept on calling him an idiot. And looking back on it, I wouldn't classify it as a tempo spell now. But my argument was that I'm just looking to make my Delvers and my Tarmogoyfs live longer. And if I can disrupt cards in their hand, keeping them alive, that's in tempo play. And they were just like, no, Bryant, that is not what tempo is at all. Like, you're an idiot. Uh, I adamantly argued it. In hindsight, I was wrong. I didn't understand at the time. Yeah, I mean, having disruptive card advantage spells in your tempo deck makes a lot of sense, but I would not call him to Tarak a tempo play. We want to dial in on grief here. We've kind of set the stage with pitch spells and where they go, but this is a ultimately a grief episode. I, I'm here for that. Let's grief some people. Okay, so of all pitch spells ever cast against me, the one that makes me go, oh shit, here we go is Unmask. This in all history of magic. Yeah. There are control decks that play Thoughtseize. Sure. Like, that's a powerful spell in control decks if you have access to it. But no control deck is going to spend two cards to check your hand on turn one. You know this person is here for a good time, not a long time, as soon as you see that Unmask on the stack. Yeah. So, like, for years and years and years in Legacy, like, when you saw an Unmask, that meant that someone was playing a, a Grizzlebrand deck list of some kind that could draw seven later and make up for using that unmask, you know, your reanimator decks, your tin fins decks, things of that nature. I mean, if you go really far back to 2008, 2009, reanimator didn't play unmask, not really. It played uh, Thoughtseize, it played Careful Study, but they didn't want to discard two cards just to check your hand. Unmask is a relatively newer addition to reanimator. It's not a new idea, it's just a new implementation of the idea, because those Careful Study reanimator decks had Force of Will and Days. They just realized that Faithless Looting, being like a mono black deck that splashes Faithless Looting, is better than being a fully committed deck trying to support Force of Will. Big part of that is Mystical Tutor got banned. Remember that shit? Ooh, that was a <laughs> that yeah. was a wild couple months when both Intomb and Mystical Tutor were both legal. But they switched from Force and Days to Unmask, and they've been on that for a couple years now. And even outside of Reanimator, and even before Grizzlebrand's printing, Dredge, freaking Dredge. Talk about draw seven. How about draw twenty four? On your first turn, unmask you, Lion's Eye Diamond, Breakthrough, GG, Idiot. Like that's, That is the spot where I really remember unmask being particularly heinous. Discard good. I, I, I think we can agree there. Like that, that is something that, you know, historically across formats, like that has been a useful tool. But it's not one that is necessary in your control decks, right? It's not like in Legacy, every control deck ever, ever made starts with blue, black, and then X. Like, we have plenty of Jeskai control decks. So discard is 
nice. You'll see it in a lot of like the more stone blade-ish style control decks frequently, but discard at the cost of two for one in yourself is probably not something that you're ever going to want to do in your control deck list. Right. Bryant just shouted out him to Tarak. We have access to that card. We can spend one card for two of yours. Why would we spend two of ours for one of yours? It just doesn't make sense on rate. Yeah, and like the control decks get to play with, you know, the Culligan's Command type cards that are often discard plus something else associated with it that gives you that extra value. Right, discard plus discard another one. God, I love him to Turok. I'm just in that headspace now. Snapcaster him to Turok. I just did this the other day on the channel. Him you, snap him you. That's good magic. 2018, those Grixis decks were everywhere but could not close out a game to save their life. It was tough watching those in coverage. Yep, for sure. Yep. GP Reed Duke, some of the finest magic coverage there's ever been, but watching paint dry expertly, but that's what was happening. Let's talk about grief as it compares to Unmask. It is a very obvious on its surface comparison. Exile a black card, take a card from your opponent. Important note, Unmask can target yourself too. Sometimes Reanimator keeps Unmask as a pseudo entomb against decks that they don't expect to interact with them. They can get a monster out of their hand quickly for zero mana. Grief doesn't do that. But Grief is a monster that goes to the graveyard on its own. It's most of Unmask, arguably the important part. It's also a reasonable thing to do on four mana, which a lot of these decks don't have, or at least didn't have historically. They had a flurry of stupid one drops, and then they had their eight drops they were trying to reanimate and not a lot going on in between grief being a real thing that you could just do also these are usually dark ritual decks so you get leyline of the voided on turn zero like sure dark ritual lotus petal grief you take your removal spell and start getting in that's a huge mode of this card and it's highly synergistic with the decks that have historically wanted unmask reanimator loves to reanimate grief if they need to work their way through it's the unmask that provides a pretty reasonable thing to bring back right away and the dredge hogak style graveyard aggro decks bridge from below triggers off grief Ho or uh vengevine triggers off grief these are all built-in synergies with decks that wanted to do this anyway it's kind of the perfect card for that sort of gamer i don't think it's a coincidence that we saw the rise of reanimator happen after grief grief gave the deck unmask five through eight but also a legitimate backup plan that the decks never had before and i think those two things combined made reanimator from like a pretty good legacy choice not just for grinding leagues but a legitimate choice to a highly disruptive deck that is low tier one i like i think the deck is very good low tier one is not an insult like that like, like Reanimator is very good. Yeah, the EW Landon streaming days, he was going nuts with that deck, but not really anyone else. Like, it, it was a top five, maybe top ten steady presence on the Goldfish metagame, but it's been number two for most of the time since the printing of Modern Horizons. And after the EI ban, it was number one for a while. It's floated back I think it's like six right now at this moment where we're talking. Currently five, just okay. behind Painter. Sure. So that list of stuff that we started this this uh, episode on, Force Days, Force of Negation, Commandeer, uh, Grief Mirrors, Unmasked Mirrors, Solitude, uh, Endurance. We didn't talk about Surgical because that's a different kind of effect, but uh, Ravenous Trap, also a different kind of effect. Uh, there's Leyline of the Void, a different kind of effect, but... There's so much crap that every deck has access to that is good against Reanimator, and it's still a top five legacy deck. Down from top two, by the way. One of the cool things about Grief being this like mid-range pivot plan is that if you already have Grief in your main deck and you 
use additional sideboard slots for more creatures, your pivot plan becomes stronger because you already have some regular aggro. So for example, you might see something like a playset of Dalthy Voidwalkers and a pair of Shouldreds or something like that. If it was just those six cards out of the sideboard, like, that's a fine pivot plan. When you have those and you also have four copies of Grief that are a 3-2 with a form of evasion in your main deck, like it becomes reasonable to just clock your opponent out even if they come with all the hate in the world. Yeah, it's bad enough when I keep a hand with like Leyline of the Void and Surgical and I just get hardcast griefed with no other support. But sometimes Reanimator is built to have like Orcish Bowmasters, Dothy Voidwalker, Opposition Agent as they curve up to grief, or they could even grief you once, make room for the Voidwalker or the Bowmaster. Also, some of, namely Leyline, is not symmetrical. It only affects the opponents of its controller. So grief you, reanimate your good creature from your hand, is a turn one entomb reanimate effectively through the most potent graveyard hate that there is. Okay, I want to I want to talk about this because I've, I've, I've again been playing these mono black decks. So when you are playing Leyline of the Void... Your griefs are actually oftentimes worse than your opponent's griefs. Because if you you control Leyline and you like grief your opponent, you then can't go and reanimate the big juicy thing that you could take out of their hand. And this is sometimes incredibly awkward. And I'm still working through how I'm supposed to sideboard in some of these situations where I actively want to, say, reanimate my opponent's Caves of Chaos Adventurer or whatever that they are going to be playing. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of reanimator lists switch to Dothy Voidwalker, because you still get to go, okay, uh, I will play my Voidwalker, I'll Dark Ritual it in, then I'll unmask you, take your key spell, like an Omniscience or whatever. And then on turn two, Dothy cast that Omniscience for free and then you know you get to go ham with reanimate or whatever it does but on top of that i think there's another thing people don't really talk about when it comes to dothy voidwalker and legacy the decks that it's good against don't run a lot of creature removal so that card lives through force of vigor and everything else that they boarded in to answer Leyline of the void and then that dothy voidwalker kills them while it's you know stopping them from winning Oh, and while we're talking about important common interactions, just in case you don't know, if you control Leyline of the Void and Douthy Voidwalker and something goes to your opponent's graveyard, they don't get the void counters on them. So you don't get to cast those things. I mean, they could. It's just up to your opponent who is probably more likely to decide that they don't. Yes. As the owner of the affected object decides which replacement effect applies to it. So if you're in a multiplayer game, maybe you could politic like, hey, I'm going to need that interaction spell. Don't send it into the ley line, send it into the Dothy Void. But in a 1v1, obviously, they're just going to make it regular gone. From my experience on Magic Online, it automatically defaults to ley line of the void. Right, because that is the correct answer in 1v1 in almost all situations, unless you have a Phage the Untouchable you're trying to get him with. Let's let's move on to talking about kind of the reanimate or scam portion of this deck list. And again, this really started seeing heavy play starting in Modern, where you would take a, a pitch elemental, you would get its effect on the front end, or honestly, sometimes just play it as, you know, a fury, as a just 3-3 three, three double striker, and then cast something like Ephemerate, Undying Evil, Feigned Death, e Essence Flux, or any other similar card to get that creature to either come back to play, stay in the play, 
however exactly it's worded because there's a couple differences between them. I won't lie. It took me like a month of building up courage to ask somebody else why they kept on calling the deck scam. I was like, I must be missing something. Like I've read every card in the deck. Like there's nothing in here that says scam. Yeah, it's just a generic gaming term. It's like a scam strat is basically like the the core of that. If if someone comes in trying to play not whatever the gentlemanly or gentlepersonly version of the game is, like Zergling Rush is a scam strat. Uh, I played a lot. The first time I really heard this or used a lot was when I was playing Storybook Brawl and watching streams. There was one type of unit that could, like when it attacks your opponent's unit becomes a zero four instead of whatever it is, or it can attack into the back row when normally things have to work through the front row to beat up your support units in the back. That was scamming. This is like, we, you're not trying to build a big army. You're trying to throw mine off balance and just kill me with some cheese. So that's what scamming is. So where are we seeing scamming in Legacy today? Is it just Reanimator? Where is it happening? We're getting there. I mean, Reanimate is at its core a scam strat. Uh, even without grief, like if, if we're just using gamer terminology, always has been. Uh, Reanimator is kind of the zergling rush of, of Magic the Gathering. But let's talk about modern a little bit. Uh, the Rakto scam is the core deck in the format. It's like 6% meta share over the number two deck. It's like very big. It won the Pro Tour. That deck uses grief and fury. And Ragavan, remember that guy? That's a card. Uh, but yeah, Grief and Fury to jump in and out of play, killing stuff early, having a big creature before you're supposed to, backed up by other discard spells, other removal, Fable and Mirror Breaker, just very powerful deck that recoups its losses very well when it griefs you early. It also is in Living End, a deck that I know Brian has some experience with. Talk about decks that were custom built to have grief in them. In Living End is just a reanimator deck. It's a very fancy specific type of reanimator, but putting a creature into your graveyard to check your opponent for interaction before returning all your creatures from your graveyard to play and then triggering them again on a grand scheme of this scam business. So we, we see a bunch of those. It's just in random other decks too. Like there's... Stone Blade, like Black White Stone Blade, that uses the Grief Scam and Solitude Scam packages. There is like Asmoran food piles that do it. It's kind of all over the place. People have tried it anywhere they can in in Modern because it's just very good. In Legacy, uh, oh, even in Vintage. I mean, this is Legacy Pod. Sorry, I'll work our way back before we move on in Legacy. But even in Vintage, like obviously dredge and stuff for playing it but i saw this like abzan hate bear deck that had archon of amiria and kasali pride mage werewolf that's better whatever that one's called outland liberator yeah that one it had those in high numbers plus it just had grief enough black cards to support it troll of kazadoom and reanimate just right in your vintage hate bears deck and that one i think top aided a recent challenge it, it did well enough to be posted i saw it recently i'm going to be recording with a powerless vintage deck for some people prepping for eternal weekend you know what can i play if i don't have power and i'm going to tell you that like grief is a hundred percent in that deck yeah absolutely it has to be a really evens the playing field checking that it's worth two cards not to die box that we talked about before okay uh let, let's get to legacy after my winding road here grief we've seen it in doomsday we've seen it in reanimate reanimator really it's kind of all come together into the tempo deck of the moment, Death Shadow. Uh, this is a deck that has Grief and Force of Will and Daze, using them both offensively and defensively with shocking efficiency, kind of taking all of the principles we've talked about up to this point and shoving them into one brutal legacy tempo deck. One thing that I've noticed about these Death Shadow legacy scam decks, whatever you would like to call them, is 
traditionally these decks played a lot of cards in order to lower their life total you would see a lot of street rates three or four watery graves like you were literally looking for anything to lower your life total more recently with reanimate plus grief or reanimate plus troll of Kazadoom, these decks get to pull back on those effects and run more playable cards and that has been a huge reason why they're seeing an uptick in play because you don't have to run as many uh, air quotes bad cards anymore because you get to play the good stuff plus this exciting reanim- reanimator scam package for a very long time in legacy i i viewed death shadow as a, a very weak strategy because it, it took so much to get death shadow online like that was a card that you you start thinking about i don't know like turn four turn five most of the time and now that you could just like reanimate a troll on turn one if you're a dark ritual gamer or you know turn two otherwise that equation has changed a lot and again you don't have as much dead air in your deck list the old uh taking your time to get your life total low business just to get plague winded by a sword to plowshares that's not how the deck works anymore the early builds they were delver decks where delver is not death shadow it's kind of bizarro death shadow Delver, the idea is play your threat, protect it. Death Shadow, the idea is protect your threat, then deploy it. One of those is suited better for a Day's Force of Will metagame, and one of them is suited better for a Thoughtseize metagame. And we're talking about the difference between Modern and Legacy. Delver is a top deck in Legacy. It's unplayable in Modern. And Death Shadow has been a top deck in Modern for many years, and it was you know fringe to bad in legacy until now where all the pieces kind of came together they don't play delver anymore bryant mentioned they're not playing like a bunch of street wraiths and main deck surgicals and just dumb ways to get their life total lower now they have troll of Kazadoom, which means their land count is lower than ever and their spells are better on average and troll of Kazadoom is a black card for grief and an exciting payoff for reanimate and a shuffle for your cantrips. And a shuffle for your cantrips. Just Troll of Kazadoom really set this kind of fringe shell. Like some decks were on it, some weren't. Looking at the results from the Star City team event last month, Blue Black Shadow was much of the top eight. I don't actually have them in front of me. I think it was like four or five entries of the top eight. It was a team event, but the legacy seat. Only one of them was playing Troll of Kazadoom, and they only had two copies. And it was Jerry Thompson, one of the best deck builders of all time. And now we're just on, that is the plan. Figure out everything else afterwards. It, that This technology has evolved very quickly once people got a taste of it. I'm currently looking at deck list right now because I wanted to fact check the street rate thing. I was like, they might still be on two. This is the creature suite. Death Shadow, Orcish Bowmasters, you might have heard of that one. One Brazen Borrower, three to four Troll of Kazudum, depending on the deck list, and then anywhere between two and four copies of Murktide Region. Remember that card? We haven't even mentioned that one, because it's so far behind Grief, Death Shadow, Troll of Kazudum. Like, Murktide Region is also in this deck if you somehow got through all of those other super large efficient creatures. Yeah, and Troll of Kazudum has kind of become such an engine that a lot of these decks aren't even griefing anymore. This is a grief episode, and we the inspiration was the Death Shadows shell, but we might be entering the post-grief all-troll universe very soon, or at least it's like a metagame decision, what you want to do there. If we're talking about having only good cards in your deck, the, the run of no bad cards Delver 
when people cut the stifles and the nimble mongoose and just only played cards that they wanted to draw. I think Death Shadow is starting to move into that space because as good as Grief or any other pitch spell is when you're in the position you want to use it and you have cards to spend, they are all really bad in that delta between one and four or five mana, whatever they cost to do the hard way. If you don't have cards to pitch or you just don't want to, they become pretty bad. We're entering a new era of Death Shadow construction as well. Yeah, and on that note, like some of the Death Shadow decks are running things to get card advantage in the late game now. So like you'll see some of them running like a copy of Lorien Revealed or a couple copies of Sauron's Ransom so that like you can recoup a little bit of that card advantage from griefing in the early game, or you can come back if your primary threat gets removed and you can't back it up. Yeah, on that, I think Sauron's Ransom is awesome. That card is really good at what it does. If you cast two of them in a game, having a ring bearer who loots when it attacks is meaningful additional card selection. In Mystic Sanctuary decks, uh, not even talking about Death Shadow anymore necessarily, but Grixis decks, uh, even Grixis Control, Esper Control. I think Sauron's Ransom is really cool and has not been explored as much as it could. On the flip side, I think Lorien Revealed and Death Shadow is some aspirational weird BS. It's, that deck's not going to have five lands in play, not in any sort of reasonable fashion. So like I love Lorien Revealed in decks in general in Magic. Great card to exist, exactly my speed. But I think that if you're trying to recoup cards with one slot in your deck in Death Shadow, it should probably not be that. Um, just as an aside, if you have not played against Sauron's Ransom before, I highly encourage you to get some games in because that is an incredibly skill-testing card. And there's there's some leveling in mind games that can happen and you can make or break a game based on your decisions. I had somebody in my YouTube comments the other day, I played some Grixis Ransom deck where they were mad about the design because they didn't want to be asked questions that hard. Basically, the position was, if I register mono red, that's what I wanted to do today. Don't make me play some level game BS with a blue wizard. And as a blue wizard, I'm just like, heck yeah, get in my space. Use your, use your brain. Get some wrinkles on that thing. You don't just get to lightning bolt me and get away with it. And one of the things I really like about the troll is that it can be your turn one mana fixing, but it doesn't always just have to be your turn two, I am planning on reanimating this. Once it's in the graveyard, your opponent has to respect the fact that it's there for the rest of the game. And whenever you find your reanimate, if you find your reanimate, you can just kind of go and pop it out at that time. Yep, same with grief. In modern, the, when you do your scam, you need a mana open and your scam spell to flicker or bring back from the graveyard your elemental immediately in legacy you could just like grief your opponent cast ponder pass the turn reanimate them two turns from now who cares uh reanimate is just such a messed up card on these fair angles modern has nothing quite like it it's flexibility is so good so a lot of times i will keep a hand that has grief plus reanimate and when I keep that hand, mentally, I am going, I'm going to cast this grief, pitching X card, I'm going to reanimate the grief, I'm going to take two cards out of my opponent's hand. But you have the ability to pivot. Like, you can grief your opponent, see that they have something better than your grief, and you can pick up their Caves of Chaos Adventurer. You can pick up their Grizzlebrand. In addition to having the flexibility of, I can cast this reanimate later, when or if I draw it, the reanimate itself doesn't have to target the thing that 
that you have built your deck around doing. Yeah, I had a really interesting game. I was playing Blue Black Omni Show, which is not a reanimator deck, but it sure looks like one if you don't know what's in it. And I had an opponent who was on reanimator, thought sees me, that had a chance to take Archon of Cruelty from my hand, but they must not have had the reanimate spell and they didn't feel safe hanging it in my graveyard for me to top deck one. So they just took like some other card and that would have been just juicy pickings for them, but just multi-layer of who's got the reanimate and who's going to have it first kind of gamesmanship there. So I'm I'm trying to find a list and I've failed at finding it, but I have also seen the grief package shoved into some rather interesting places. I, I want to say it was like a Magic Online challenge top eight. I saw like a black white death and taxes deck that had gone a little bit deeper into the black to play. I think it was like Thoughtseize, Grief, Bowmasters, Opposition Agent. I don't remember whether or not it had reanimated. Plague Engineer. Plague Engineer, thank you. Where they had gone a little bit deeper into the black to try to make this scam package work there because it's just so good at bridging you towards like turn two and turn three when a lot of the other hate bears and interaction can come online. One of the things that Bryant has said like again and again and again on this show is like how good Deafening Silence was for decks like Death and Taxes because it can bridge you to the cards that matter. Well, Grief can serve the same role. In these black-white Orzhov decks, don't underestimate the ability to Solitude reanimate Solitude. If you go back a decade plus in Legacy, Exalted Angel was the premier threat at one point. I mean, it's funny to laugh at now. I mean, Phil's chuckling, but it was true. And now Solitude, I mean, 3-2 Lifelink is not a joke, especially after you exile two creatures. That card is going to create enough of a gap between their life total and yours, where even if you fall behind, it bought you enough time to stabilize later. I do think that Solitude plus Reanimate is probably underexplored in this format. Generally underexplored or space to explore, I just went to MTG Goldfish and searched for tournament finishes that include the card Grief across all formats. There's a bunch of Living Ends, Rectos Evokes, uh, that's what they call Rectoscam on Pro Tour coverage, by the way. It was a very funny Twitter drama of people taking the identity of Magic decks down to their colors and strategy, but lol. Among this, you get the occasional Orzov Stoneblade. In modern, there's Mono Black Midrange in modern on this list. We get Doomsday, we get Death Shadow. Hiding among here from friend of the show Ozymandias17, there is a 4-0 and a Legacy Prelim with a deck I've never seen in my life. This is Black Green, The Rock Reanimator, Orcish Bowmaster Grief, Generous and Troll of Kazadoom, Atraxa, Archon of Cruelty, four copies of Gris the Hunger Tide, four Bone Shards, Three Entomb, four Reanimate Thoughtseize, Witherbloom Command, Animate Dead, some lands to cast them all. This is a 4-0 deck. Does that sound like a 4-0 deck? I mean, it may be. Scamming is, is real. This is a primarily scam deck, and this four copies of Grist, we're just shitting it into the graveyard here however we can. This is a, a very clever exploration of this space we've been talking about. It has a Troxa. It has to be good, right, Phil? That is how it works. Yeah, I don't make the rules. Yep, zero grizzle brands, Bryant. Clearly, you've lost the culture war. <laughs> Yeah, scrolling down more, I, I found this uh, four-color Abzan base. Is it actually four-color? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, just Mind Break Traps. So it's Abzan with Mind Break Traps, just vintage Hate Bears deck featuring the Grief Scam package. You got Vintage Dredge, a ton more uh, Rakdos, Scam, and Living End. Eight Rack? Modern Eight Rack? Um, this is going to be a little bit jarring, but Brian had some unexpected audio issues. So I know he was just reading a list of cards. Uh, essentially kind of summing up the point that he was making 
there's an absolutely incredible range of things that this grief scam shell in various natures can fit into. And if you are a deck builder, if you are a brewer, I encourage you to think outside of the box and see where you can fit in this package that it will make sense. Because as time goes on, we're going to see it more and more, not just in legacy, but in all sorts of high-powered formats.